After having spent 30 years in the United States Marine Corps with combat tours to both Iraq and Afghanistan, I have come to know many military families who have sacrificed for this country, but rarely do we hear from the spouse of that family. The spouse of that deployed service personnel has had to endure many hardships unknown to the non-military family. Today's podcast will focus on the challenges faced by a military spouse in today's environment. On this podcast, we will be speaking with Samantha Isaacs, a military spouse and a mother of four young children. Now, let's welcome Samantha Isaacs to Ubaldi Reports. How's it going, Samantha? Hi, how are you? I am doing well. So how's everything out there in uh, California? Oh, well, I hear it's hot. Well, it's a little nice where I'm at. But let's get in with this podcast. First of all, tell us a little bit about your background and how did you meet your husband? Uh, We originally met in high school. Um, We graduated a couple months apart. I graduated early and... um, he went off to boot camp, and we reconnected um, through my sister. When she came home, actually, on boot leave the following year, we reconnected and um, went on a couple dates, and the rest is history. Five years later, here we are. Now, your husband's in the Marines, correct? Yes. Now, you're, you said your sister. Your sister's also in the Marine Corps as well. Uh, my uh, Both of my sisters. My uh youngest sister was in the Marines. Uh, she was medically separated, and uh, my stepsister is in the Marines. She's currently uh, getting ready to go through OCS. Okay, now did your stepsister, did she serve in Iraq or Afghanistan or anything? She served in Afghanistan. She was there uh, at the same time as my husband was, actually. Okay, so your husband did. Now, did your husband do one tour in Afghanistan or two tours? He did one, uh, 363 days. Okay, so you counted that down pretty well. <laughs> yeah, he returned two days home or at home two days before the day he left the year prior. Oh, wow. So now, since your husband was overseas, especially in Afghanistan, for you know a full year, what was it like? What are the challenges that you faced as a military spouse with a husband deployed? Oh, the challenges. There's... There's a thing a lot of military wives say, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen while your husband is deployed. Um, I was in a car accident, and I had to have surgery. And, you know, the only way to get a hold of your husband is to hope that the Red Cross call goes through. Um, We face challenges with taxes because a regular power of attorney doesn't cover that. You have to have a special one. Um, So the IRS doesn't care where he is. You still have to file your taxes. Um, we faced a lot of challenges. I mean, in everyday challenges. If there was a bill that we forgot about and it happened to be in his name, I couldn't access it. Um, it just lots of, of daily things that normal couples can go in and out of. It, it's a lot of hoops to jump through when your spouse is on the other side of the world. Well, you make a good point because when I deployed to Afghanistan, I was single, so it was just me. But I can't not face what you went through. I had to face, well, if something happened, I had a bill that somehow where I lived, the, uh, something happened to the, the electricity or, or something. I got overcharged on my electrical bill and I took me weeks to trying to get a hold of somebody. So yeah. I, I can't imagine trying to get a hold of your spouse when you're in America and they're in Afghanistan. Yeah. And they get to, they, um, I think it was, 
a 10-hour time difference, I believe, 10 or 11. So there's not really even a good time. We weren't hardly ever able to speak to each other on Skype or anything else because of the time difference. And he worked the night shift in Afghanistan, which is the day shift here in the U.S. So while we're awake, he's asleep. And then while he's at work, we can't talk to him because it's, I mean, it just was never... Never, it was never a good time. Yeah, because when you're sleeping, he's awake, and and then when he's awake, and maybe you're awake, but he's on duty, and it's not like yeah, he can how just it get <laughs> he can get you a computer. Uh, computer. Now, did you have? To, was there something like a pre-deployment, um, what do you cry, criteria that you had to go through to prepare um, for your husband? They do have pre-deployment briefs. Um, to kind of, but it's just a basic overview of how things are going to have to work. Um, we go through the operational security. You know, don't don't tell people where he's going and when he's leaving until he's gotten there. Um, to not to put the bumper stickers on your cars, things like that. Um, and then the the scary parts. You know, we had to we had to do a will. My husband had to write out a will at 22 years old that. You know, those kind of things. Um, we filled out our power of attorney so that I had control of everything while he was gone so that he could do what he had to do over there and not worry about things here. But they don't they don't cover those little nuances, you know, that you forgot the car was registered to your husband's name and now you can't register your car. <laughs> so <laughs> those, those little things in their, their life lessons learned that, that the the wife community, you know, the South would go, oh, hey, don't forget to do this because lesson learned. We didn't do that on the first deployment, and it was so difficult to get done again. So now, we kind of band together. You mentioned something earlier that I don't know if most of my listeners picked up on it. You said don't put bumper stickers on your vehicles. Why did they tell you not to put bumper stickers on your vehicle? Um, back when the war first started, there was, um, and you still see them a little bit here and there, um, half of my heart is deployed. It Correct. makes you a target. It tells people you're alone. Um, you know, it, it, it very boldly says, I'm by myself. Uh, my husband's not here. It says, if, if my car is parked in my driveway, you know I don't have a husband here. So it's a, it's a danger issue. Um, That's a good point. So we we go we went through that not to not to do that. Well, I know there was a there was a period of time that they tell us even probably now because of the whole ISIS threat don't make yourself don't a target. Identify yourself. Yeah. Correct. Don't identify yourself because they could tell who's a veteran and who's not. Now, did you live on base or off base during this period? Uh, while he was deployed, I moved home to Indiana to live with family, um, some help with our twins at the time, who were three. And, um, but I lived, we lived off of base in Camp Lejeune, and when we were in Camp Pendleton, we lived on base. Now, when you were in Camp Lejeune, what was it like to live off base? Oh, man. We lived uh, seven miles from the front gate, and... My husband would have to leave the house two hours before he had to be at work in order to make it there on time. 
Now, what, just so um, our listeners know, why is that? Since you only live seven miles from the gate, most people would think it would take you five, ten minutes to just get to work. Because 40,000 people are headed to the same place. <laughs> <laughs> so the traffic, um, it wasn't a rush hour. It was rush hours. Uh, you kind of quickly learned that if you didn't absolutely have to be anywhere between the hours of 5 and 8 a.m. and 3 to 6 p.m., you didn't go anywhere because traffic was so bad. Because Jacksonville is a very small town. Um, with a very large population, and and they they're trying very hard. The last time we were there, they the roads were expanding. They were doing as much as they could to help divert traffic into as many different directions as they could. But it's a very tiny town with a very large population, so it was a little chaotic there. And and I'm sure you would agree with this. I think most people need to realize there's only one or two ways on most mil- major military bases. There's not, like, multiple entrances. So yes, you've got, like um, you said. Jacksonville had, um, they called the they had the main gate, and then they had a Piney Green gate. Um, and Piney Green was traffic coming from the other direction. Uh, there was a gate in the, the back, but, again, that you would have to go around the city and come in. So... There's only one or two ways to get in, depending on where you live. And that's like most military, but it's like Camp Pendleton. You can, uh-huh. you would think you could live five minutes from the gate, or the front entrance of the base, but it takes you like an hour to get through the traffic. And yeah. then you've got, and what most people need to realize, when you go to the front gate, you have to show your ID ID card to get on the base. So that's slowing things up even slow more. It's a process. Yeah. Exactly. Now, when you were living out in Camp Pendleton in California, what made you decide to live on base, vice living off base? The cost of living had a lot to do with it. Um, cost of living in California is extremely high, and you don't get paid any differently in the military just because you live there. And California's minimum wage is a lot different to help offset the cost of living, but it you don't get paid any different in the military to live in California. So we we lived on base just because as a family of, we were then a family of four, um, a two-bedroom apartment in California off of base is about $1,400 a month without utilities. Um, so we just decided to live on base where... Technically, we still paid rent. They took all of our BAH for housing and all of our utilities. Uh, so we still have to pay for living on base, but uh, it was just more affordable of an option. Now, just for our listeners' standpoint, BAH is basic housing assistance, and they base it off of your rank and then how many children or spouse, you know, a spouse that you have. Mm-hmm. So that's what it, But it's still very expensive because I knew a lot of people that – you know, lived out in town, but they have to live so far away because they just can't afford to live close because Camp Pendleton's close to the beach. Yeah, um, a lot of a lot of the people in my husband's unit, um, if they lived off of base, they lived a little over an hour away so that they could afford a house off base. Uh, but then you've you've got that hour and a half drive in the morning because you've got to expect to hit the the traffic coming in and. Uh, so for us, it was just more beneficial to live on base. 
Now, what are some of the advantages besides the, the closeness to your husband's unit? And what are some of the advantages to living on base? Uh, some of the advantages were, um, I, maybe you could call it camaraderie. Um, living off base, you're not guaranteed that you'll be neighbors to somebody who is in the military as well. So they finding a commonality with your neighbors is so important when you're brand new to an area where you know absolutely nobody. You don't even know where you're going without a GPS. Um, so living on base, you're guaranteed that the people you're living with know what you're going through. They understand that when that when that PCS truck pulls up, they know you have no idea where you're at. You know no one, you've never been here, and you're all alone. And they're the first people to jump in and say, hey, I'm so-and-so. Hey, let me help you unpack your boxes or do you guys need anything. And a lot of times you're there before your stuff. So your neighbors are there to say, hey, do you want to borrow some pots and pans and some dishes until your things get here? So it was, um, it's just heartwarming to live on base, to have those people with you. Now, that's a good point that you brought up because like I said earlier, I'm not, wasn't married, but when I deployed the three times that I went, there was nobody my family members could relate to because they never had, they, they, their friends and family members never deployed. So that's and I can't imagine what's it like to be a military spouse where your husband's deployed and you don't know anybody, you're new to the area without having that commonality of your neighbors helping you out. Yeah, exactly. Now, we, when we lived in Lejeune, I didn't know anyone, and my husband deployed, and I, there's none of my friends were military spouses, nor were they in the military. So nobody, I didn't, I didn't have anyone who could say, "Hey, I've been there. Let me help you through this." So living on base was definitely an advantage the second time around, knowing that somebody there had been through that too. Now, how do the units, like your husband's units, because I was like a family readiness officer when I was Mm -hmm. in the Marines, how much help did you get from your unit regarding some of the issues that you had? Um, Help comes in in waves. Uh, The the family readiness officer, she's taking care of hundreds of people at a time that you know it's not just five or six that deploy i think there were 127 that deployed with my husband so that's that's 127 families that she's trying to take care of and she she got back to us as fast as she could and and she always tried to keep us pretty up to date um we got like a weekly email uh they do a lot of family building exercises um they help the children cope they bring in people to help explain to kids what's happening, um, things like that. Uh, but most of the time you find you find your companionship and your help um, with the other spouses in the area that, that have deployed husbands as well. And they don't even have to be in the same unit because multiple units deploy at the same time. So you just kind of, you learn to deal with it. You, you adapt and you overcome. <laughs> That's a good phrase. But how did yes. you adjust? How did you adjust to your husband being overseas, especially because you had young children? How did your children get used to the fact that their father was away now for a year? Um, I don't know that they ever really did get used to it. Um, 
you kind of you kind of learn to ignore it maybe um a lot of denial i think is how we get through it you just keep thinking he'll be home soon uh only so many days left and um instead of instead of keeping thinking about where he is because you can go weeks without communication i'd get an email here and there just to say hey how's everyone doing just checking in um so you learn to make it through each day and uh but the kids i don't think kids ever really grasp it we tried showing them on a map you know this is where we are and this is where daddy is and but on a map that doesn't look very far away to a three-year-old so why can't he come home if we're only six inches apart on a map Um, (laughs) that's a good point so so it's very difficult to explain to kids in certain age groups definitely the the preschool years were rough now i know you were able to skype with your husband and with the way you sounded like it wasn't all, all that frequent was that harder for a child, knowing that they can see their dad on a screen, but they couldn't physically touch him or hug him or anything like that? It is absolutely heartbreaking. I'm going to cry. <laughs> it's been four years. Um, it's absolutely heartbreaking because you just that's all you want to do is reach out and touch him. Okay. Now, on another aspect... What is the, some of the preconceived notions that non-military fam, those who've never been in the military, have about military spouses? Oh man, <laughs> I don't know if we <laughs> can say those on air. Well, just um, keep it clean. Just get, give me. The, um, remember, I think this a is a lot of preconceived notions are that we do spend a lot of time away from our spouses, um, or I know that there's a. Some people think that the military makes either a lot of money or very, very little money. Um, okay. It seems like a lot of the, a lot of things that people talk to us about are way off. So it, they have stories from people who were in Vietnam. You know, it, things have changed a lot. So there are quite a few misperceptions. Well, the reason I asked that question because. As you know, I wrote a book called The New Business Brigade, which really the whole premise is, is why businesses need to hire veterans. And there are so many preconceived notions about the military. And I can't imagine what it's like for the military spouse. I had one person thought, and she was a corporate trainer, very educated individual. She thought most of the enlisted didn't have high school diplomas or could barely read because... <laughs> That's her no, preconceived no, notion. Yeah, and that's her pre- preconceived notion because that's what she, she was probably understood about the military. She had no connection to the military. And mm-hmm. a lot of people also believe that you can, oh, if you get into trouble with the law, you can just go in the military and that'll cover it. Well, that went out 30, 40 years ago. So um, I can't imagine what you're going. have everyone's got a high school diploma or a GED. You you have to have that. Um, and there's a test to get into the military. I mean, you you have to take the test. Um, and even a lot of enlisted personnel, they have college degrees. Um, my husband worked with a gentleman in, he was deployed with him in Afghanistan. 
he was an executive chef for the Rainforest Cafe chain and just decided he didn't want to do that anymore. So he joined the Marine Corps. Um, there was a, a junior enlisted Marine with my husband in Lejeune who actually had a degree in finance. And he just was bored. So he changed his career and he went in the Marine Corps. Uh, there's, there are a lot of people with degrees. A very good friend of ours in California, they um, got a degree. Uh, I think he, I believe he's got two degrees, and he just chose to be a Marine. So education has nothing to do with it. Um, some people go into the Marine Corps out of high school until they find out what they want to do. So it's definitely not an education thing. I think it's just a choice people make. Um, the same choice you make when you when you go to college. Why did you choose this, not that? Well, now your sister, because your sister served in Afghanistan with the Marines, and I served with your sister. I was in the unit. I was in. We oversaw your sister's unit, but your sister was enlisted, and she's going to sc- college, and she gr- graduated with the bachelor's degree. Yes, she'll graduate in June. Mm-hmm. And what is she studying? Asian studies. Uh, she was. Um, intelligence, I believe, okay. in the Marine Corps, and uh, decided that that is what she wanted to do. She she didn't know what she wanted to do in life, so she joined the Marine Corps, and it helped her find her path, and now she knows what she wants, and, and she's gone to school, and she'll graduate from um, University of San Diego in June. So she'll, she's going to have an Asian Studies um, degree then, correct? Yes. So, I mean, so I think there's a lot of preconceived notions about what life is like or how you get in the military. I and mean, I was just astonished that some people still think you can get in with a high school dipl- without a high school diploma. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not quite the case. <laughs> now, in another transition part, you're, you left active duty, you and your husband or your husband decided to leave the Marine Corps. What were some of the challenges that you went through from life in the the military to now life outside the military? Um, transferring back out of the military is almost as stressful as moving during the military because um, we decided not to go back to where we were originally from. So uh, finding a home in a town that's not, I wouldn't say not military friendly, but it doesn't see the influx like like normal towns do. Um, so we, we had to find a home across the country. We had to set everything up, and then, then we have to deal with the moving of our things. Uh, it was extremely stressful. New schools, uh, new jobs, all of that has to change and it's a very difficult transition back out of the military now you were doing this with your husband transitioning out of the military so he had to look at what he was going to do once he left the the marines and -hmm. you had four kids at at the time very small young children at the time as well yes so did they face challenges that were different or you had to overcome as you moved to the other side of the country? Um, we, I actually had the baby in May and we moved in June. So there was a big oh. 
challenge. Uh, you he think? was six weeks old when we had to leave. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, and there is there that block of time called terminal leave, uh, which is the ninety days before you're officially separated. Uh, so my husband is still in Cal- was still in California while I moved over here, and then the transition. Our things didn't arrive until August. Um, so the kids had to, to definitely deal with being away from dad again. Um, and then me finding a new job, transferring my certifications from California to Florida. And it, it's definitely a, a challenge. Now, I know in the military, when you leave active duty, you go through a transition assistance program. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's geared for both, but a lot of times the spouse usually don't attend. Did you attend the, trans- the, the transition assistance program with your husband? Um, I didn't do uh, part of it. I did. I sat with him through the online portion, and we went through um, PowerPoints, the, the oh, PowerPoints gosh. about um, our insurance and how to um, deal everything with the IPAC, uh, all of all of the information online we went through. Now, did you see that as useful or do you think the military could have done a better job of not just um, transitioning the, 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 the military personnel, but also help transitioning the spouse as well? Um, it was definitely full of information that was helpful. Uh, but having, I think having PCS before, um, most of it, it seemed common knowledge to me. You know, that's it's how we do it. You, we have to fill out all the paperwork. We got to pack our stuff. We got to wait for our stuff. Um, but I think that they could do a little better job teaching spouses how to move, um, especially move employment. That was the the hard part was was being able to take a job from here and move it to a job there. Now that's concerning your your field because you were, I think, believe you're in the medical profession. Yeah. Now, what about your husband? What was it was? Did he have a an easier time, or is this a, just like anybody else? You leave active duty now, you just got to figure out what you want to do. Yeah, that's that's how it happened for him. He was like, "Okay, I'm done. I'm done playing GI Joe. I'm going to go back to the real world." So. He did. He just he left, and he was applying for jobs. Um, the hardest part, though, was because his job in the military does not translate to civilian life. Um, so he couldn't use his specific skill set. Uh, even on a resume, it, it didn't do anything for him. So finding something was the challenge. It is almost like starting all over in life. What did your husband do in the military? He went in the gas chambers. Oh, yeah. So I guess that wouldn't be uh, an easy fix. The only thing I think you can do is maybe with the police department or something. Yes. Okay. Now, the other thing that I know we've talked offline on this before. What was it like to transition from health care in the military to a health care in the civilian world? Was that it different? Has probably was it... been by far the the hardest challenge, um, because 
the areas around the military base, it's a given that all of the individuals living on that base have TRICARE health insurance. Okay, and that's the military military healthcare system, basically. Yes, Tricare. Okay. And there, there are different Tricare coverages. Tricare Prime covers the active duty member, and Tricare Prime means you can be seen at the naval hospitals, military treatment facilities, and there's a Tricare for. Um, Reservists. There's a Tricare for retirees. I mean, there's a Tricare for survivors. So we have a Tricare standard, which allows us to see civilian providers, doctors, and things. And in a town that is not overrun by military, very, very, very few providers accept that insurance because there's not a demand for it by the population. And with four children, we need a pediatrician. And out of the 10 pediatricians that I called, only two of them take TRICARE, and only one of them is accepting new TRICARE patients. So finding doctors has been very hard because it's not an insurance that has been accepted out here. The the only Tricare they accept is Tricare for life, which is for retirees, because there there's a good influx of retirees here, um, but not active duty personnel. Okay, so that so that's what have had to have been probably was one of your most stressful things because you have young children, kids need to have see a pediatrician, so finding a doctor was probably one of your most stressful things. Yeah, yeah, it definitely has been. Wow. So that's um now as you left active duty, is there anything that could have been done differently? Anything that the military could have done differently to make that transition easier for both you and your husband and even your children? Um no I As you laugh. So. I like how you do that. As you laugh. <laughs> um it's definitely a lot easier to move. Um if you know exactly where you're going and when you have to be there by, um, when we were given orders to, to move from Jacksonville to Pendleton, it was, it was easier to move because it was all done for us. I suppose we had to set up, tell the moving truck when to come and they would come and they put all your stuff in the truck and they take it away. And, and that was that you just had to be there when your stuff got there. Um, but this time, it was a lot more in depth, you know, having to know exactly where it was going and to make sure that we were there before our stuff. Um, and then my husband ended up driving it across the country, which was a nightmare. So it's definitely a lot easier to do it as a PCS instead of as a transition out. Well, because I remember on your Facebook post, you were like tracking your husband. Then he got what stuck in Texas Something yeah. happened to, was it budget or one of the rental car yeah. trucks wasn't the best? Not the so best I, of experiences. Um, they, we were, he was stranded on the side of the road for 15 hours before he got moving again, just to be stranded on the side of the road the next morning for a couple more hours. So it was definitely not an event we would like to go back through. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure of that. 
Now, is there one thing you would want the American people know, especially now that today is the 14th anniversary of 9-11? Is there one thing you want the, the American people to know about military families? We're just like any other families. There's moms and dads, and we've got kids in school and sports, and we've got jobs and bills. We, we just happen to go through something a little different than everyone else. We, we constantly live in that state of it could be any day. Uh, and we've got several friends who, who just got their orders. Uh, we were, um, it's, it's a constant state of any day now. And that's, that's really the only difference. We, we're regular families. We just deal with our spouses leaving frequently and to the unknown. And, you know, normal families, maybe dad goes away on a business trip for two or three weeks, but they know where he's going and when he'll be back and they can talk to him and, and for us, we don't even really know when they leave. We get a very wide range of dates, and it's just a different it's a different scenario. But we're normal families, so. Well, especially with everything going on overseas, and you're right, you can move, you can get that that call saying your husband's got to go overseas, and you got to adjust everything. And especially if you have young children, they don't quite understand all that. Yeah, you can't plan too far in the future we you know you can't plan your christmas vacation in february because you don't know where you're going to be at christmas so a lot of things a lot of things are done differently in that aspect now the last question i mean i don't know if you have an answer for this one is with all the issues regarding veterans is there, and their families, is there something that Washington, you know, the federal government, Department of Defense, political leaders, Congress, is there something Washington could do differently that they either aren't doing or they are doing that supports the military family? Um, the support for the military families is definitely being challenged, um, you know, with with freezes on the income um, with they, they're taking they're changing the insurances um, the the support for military families is definitely changing and but the times are not and that's the hard part is some things are changing while the rest of the world keeps spinning so um, we just need a consistent Support, so I, I think what I'm, I'm getting from you, you're saying that um, most because most of America has never been in the military, that they don't quite understand what life is like in the military because there's a lot of preconceived, as we talk, discussed earlier in this podcast, there's a lot of preconceived notions about military families, life in the military that's dated back decades ago that are untrue today. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, and the reason I bring that up is because when I got back from Iraq, I was at a Thanksgiving dinner with my brother and his wife and her in-laws. And when the in-laws found out that I was I was stationed at Camp Pendleton, that intrigued them. But then when they found out I got back from Iraq just weeks weeks before, they were like, 
wow, they called everybody. Hey, this guy just got back from Iraq. I felt like I was an endangered species. And like, this is what a veteran looks like. It was just different. They had no connection to the military. And that's what I'm seeing from my own experience. There really is no connection to those who serve our country, even after the 14th anniversary of the, uh, the 9-11 attack. Yeah, when my when my husband came home, um, we we definitely had to before, even before he came home, we had to let everyone know that he was coming home, and he was probably going to be a little bit different of a person, but not to treat him different. He, he's he's the same guy that he is when he left, um, but he went through something that we won't ever go through. So we don't know what happened to him. That's like telling men to go through childbirth. You, it's something you can never go through. You don't. You don't know how, what to do. So we had to explain to his to both families. You know, don't ask questions. It's not something you want to relive. Um, it's not something you want to talk about a whole lot. It wasn't. It wasn't a fun time. So um, being with in our community on Camp Pendleton, you definitely saw that a lot. There were always welcome home posters, but um, out in town, I guess you don't, you can't tell when someone's been deployed and when they've come home. No, that's a good point because when we went through our transition back in Afghanistan and even in Iraq, unlike, like you said, I know, I don't know what it's like to go through childbirth. And again, you have a hard time relating to your husband, what he went through, but we were always told when you get back as the returning military personnel, don't go into the family, just kind of ease your way back in because I'm sure you had to make decisions with the information that you had at the time. Uh And for your husband to come in and just start automatically making changes, that makes a disruption. So there's a big challenge on both sides to understand what each of them each of the spouses had gone through for those that deployed and for those who remained behind. Yeah. Uh, the, the transition home, um, I mean, after being gone for an entire year, the transition home was, was a little, little bit of a challenge. You know, I played mom and dad and everything was my responsibility for an entire year. So when he came home, I'm used to doing all of these things all by myself. So it's, remembering to let your spouse do something as small as you can put the kids to bed tonight and you know just to integrate back into a different routine his routine in afghanistan was much different than my routine at home and um that's a big that's definitely a big challenge is coming back well no and i and this is the reason why i wanted you on this podcast because i think people need to understand it's not just we see the parades and the, you know everybody's hugging each other. But then when that fades, no one sees what happens after that. And I think that's what's missing in the discourse about military families. Everybody just sees one aspect. They don't see the other aspects of this. Yeah, you see lots of pictures of the, the welcome home parties. And, and don't get me wrong, when those seven tons pulled up that day, I mean – the the feeling, you know, when you see that person step off that bus after an entire year, 
there is nothing like it. The joy in those photos, those are those are real. And that day is the best day of those people's lives. That's definitely a real picture. But the picture of the months to come, especially for the spouses and that have families, if you, those families with children, those are the hardest families that to readjust to because it's not just one person readjusting at home. There's three and four and five people that have to figure out how to get back into a routine of a family. And that, and those are important um, points that you bring up. And this was the whole purpose of having you on this podcast. Cause I don't think people really understand what the military spouse goes through. They just figure they sit at home like they see on TV and then the, and all of a sudden the spouse comes walking up the door and there he is. It does. I don't think it quite works like that. No, no, it doesn't. It's definitely not an episode of army wives or anything. No. <laughs> and I think that's, that's a good point. Army wives. I think people just see that and they think that's what military families are all about. And it's, it's a, that's a, a mischaracterization of the military family. Yeah, it's not quite quite like that. <laughs> but Samantha, I want to thank you for uh, being on Ubaldi Reports. And for all my listeners, you can keep listening to these different various podcasts that I have. You can go to Ubaldi Reports and you can see more about this. Also, on Ubaldi Reports on my website, you can go down to the bottom of the website. I'm doing a crowdfunding to try and raise additional capital so we can expand this uh, programming into other fields. You can also get a chance to uh, take a look and grab my book called The New Business Brigade, which enhances what Samantha was talking about, is why businesses need to hire veterans and the untapped resource they represent. You can get that on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or any of the major book companies. It's a best-selling author on Amazon. You can go to Stitcher and iTunes and sign up for Ubaldi Reports to listen to more of these podcasts. But again, I would like to thank Samantha and I'd like to thank you, Samantha, for being on Ubaldi Reports. And you really did shed some light on what the military family goes through. And I'm sure this podcast is going to help a lot of people. Well, no, thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. And we'll like to bring you back again. And I'd like to have my listeners keep tuning into Ubaldi Reports. Mm -hmm.